this morning, and uh, we will be in Matthew chapter 7, and we're basically two-thirds of the way through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I think uh, in light of a lot of what's happening in the world today, this is just such a timely passage. Uh, there have obviously been far more dire times economically than what we're seeing right now, but uh, there's all sorts of talk of of uh, economic pain and suffering and all this stuff on the news every time you look at it. And if you don't, if you're not careful, then this spirit of concern or worry can can get on you. And we're looking today at uh, at what Jesus had to say there on the Sermon on the Mount about worrying. And uh, we're going to be cruising through Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 through 35. Let's go ahead and read it. Therefore I tell you, we're in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. <clears throat> Is not life more important than food? and the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed <clears throat> was <clears throat> was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, we're going to be looking today about uh, not worrying, how to deal with worry. Because uh, most of us don't enjoy worry. Most of us don't purpose to worry. Most of us don't get up and say, okay, I'm going to make my list, and what am I going to worry about today? I need a worry list. And uh, most of us don't do that. Worrying's not any fun. It's not something we purpose to do. It's not something we, we want to do. But it's something we end up doing. And we have to make sure that we, uh, that we readjust. Years ago, we lived over in a house over on uh, Jefferson Street, and the house had a, had a detached garage, and it was away from the house, and that's where the driveway was. And we would park at the driveway and come in through the back door. Our only guests used the front door. We used the back door because that was where we parked. As we would do that, the, uh, that, that part of the backyard, it was secluded, had a big tree that was hanging over the edge of it, and it was, it was really dark. And we didn't have a, one of those. I should have put in one of those little motion lights or something, but it's just really dark. So one particular night, it was very dark, and the kids didn't like walking in because they had to go through the gate and into the backyard and stand there at the, at the door waiting on us. Well, Weston was about three years old at the time, and he comes up to the gate, and I'm getting stuff out of the Suburban and getting stuff ready to go, and he comes up and he opens that gate and he looks into that dark backyard, and he backs up and says, Daddy, I'm not going in there. I'm, I'm Garrett. And I was like, Weston, that's your backyard. You play in that backyard all the time. He says, it's dark, Daddy. I'm, I'm Garrett. And uh, I said, Weston, no, this is, this is this, no problem. There's no reason for you to be scared. I'm standing right here. The back door is right there. You've been here tons of times. And so you see him just steal his resolve and just get himself up. And he walks up and he opens that gate and looks into that backyard and he's beginning, I hear him saying, I'm not Garrett. I'm not Garrett. And he just kept going, and everything within him was telling him he was Garrett. 
But he had taken Daddy's word for it that everything was all right, and he was telling himself. He didn't care what his emotions were doing. He was telling himself that he wasn't Garrett. And and so many times we're going to have to do that. We're going to have to take Daddy's word for it. Worry, anxiety, all of these things are going to try to set in. And when they well up, a lot of times we don't have a lot of control over that. We don't have a lot of control over when it begins to attack and come up. Well, we do have a control of what we are going to consider is truth and what we are going to hang truth and begin to say, okay, this is what we're going to hang our lives on. And so with that, worry, being scared, being anxious, we're going to see what Jesus has to say about that. First off, we find out that we're not supposed to worry. And in that, he immediately says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? The first things you have to do to not worry about your life is to define life. What is life? Because if, if how you define it is going to determine what you think is, is worth getting all worked up about. See, for a long time, there were, uh, there were, and you still see them every once in a while, these T-shirts about uh, football is life, or life is football, everything else is just details, or life is fishing, and everything else is just details, or for my wife, life is shopping, and everything else is just details. Well, the thing is, is what you define life as is going to determine what is going to shake your world ultimately when things get messed up. And we have to make sure that we define life like Paul did in Philippians 1.21. It says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 1 Timothy 6 verses 17 through 19 says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Let's make sure we understand this part before we keep on reading. God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God wants us provided for, and He wants us to enjoy those things. There's nothing wrong. That's of God. That is a, that is a, it is a blessing. God wants us provided for and wants us to enjoy it. So it says, now command them, this is the people who are rich. Now, I, I hate to break this to you, and we'll get, this in, we'll get into this in a later series. But uh, guess what? Um, we're rich. We live in the United States, and it says rich in this world. Almost all of us are in the top 10% of wage earners in the world. Most of us are in the top 4%. And there's a number of us in this room in the top 1%. That's, we're rich. We are very rich. We have food on our backs. We have, there you go. So, we are so blessed that we can like wear waffles and stuff. Thank you. We have and clothes in our stomach. That just doesn't sound near as good. We have we're blessed. We do have most of us do have enough clothes left over that if we needed to eat them we could still have something to wear. But we're blessed. Even though we may go to the closet and say we have nothing to wear, we know that's not quite the case. We may have nothing we feel like wearing. We have nothing we haven't worn in a while. But we are. We are very blessed. So when it's talking about the rich, we may not feel rich, but in this world we are, all of us, are rich. It says, command them, those who are rich, command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age we talked about laying up treasure last week so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life see the thing is is we have to make sure that the he's commanding the rich to make sure they don't get their eyes on the wrong things so that we don't miss the life that is truly life. It is so easy for us in our busyness 
in our wealth and going for more wealth to miss out on the life that is truly life. John 17.3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is what is true life. That is why Paul could talk about that he could be content in all things, whether he had plenty or he was in, in genuine lack. Because he had Christ. To know Christ. To have fellowship with Christ. That's what real life is all about. Ultimately, eternal life, that is the aspect of eternal life we get to enjoy right now. Heaven is so wonderful because God is there. Heaven is so great because we get to spend time with Jesus. And that is the aspect. All of this stuff is going to burn. It's all going to be gone. The part of eternal life that we get to enjoy right now is fellowship with God. That is what is genuinely important. And we have to make sure that we define our life the right way. I read a story about this couple that had just been married six years. And, of course, in that time span, they had stored up a little stuff, and their house burned to the ground. I mean, just it was gone. And they go through, and immediately as they're going through the rubble, then the wife immediately goes over, and she's digging through and, and skips the TV, skips all of those things, and goes to the photo album, where the photo albums were, and begins to look and sure enough, the pictures in the middle of that big old thick photo album had gotten preserved. And they had some of their cherished photos left. And, and the husband had gone, and, had gone over and found the box where he'd kept all the correspondence and all the letters that they had written to each other. And there's a big old bundle. And the ones in the middle had been saved. And he was able to go over it. And when, ultimately, when they were all said and done... Because they had those things, they had those things that represented the relationship, that represented what really mattered. All the other stuff could be replaced in time. All the other stuff was, was going was gonna to be able to come back around. And those things, those moments, the relationship issues, that was what was really mattered. And when that survived... All of a sudden, hope was there, and they just uh, both of them looked at each other and said, "Well, we really didn't lose that much. We've got this. We really didn't lose that much. A whole house burned to the ground." When you understand what life is really about, the the punches that and the ups and downs economically of this world are just not that difficult. When we understand what life is really all about, there was the joke about the. <clears throat> this stockbroker guy who had you know, done real well and was driving his brand new BMW and <clears throat> having a little too much fun with it and is uh, going up through this mountain and loses control. It's going over the edge <clears throat> and uh, he just he bails out at the last minute. And as he's bailing out, he doesn't <clears throat> realize it, but his arm gets caught in the door and it rips his arm off. And so he's sitting there, and the 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 some the trucker comes behind him and comes to to take care of him, and the guy's standing there on the deal, looking down, and that still doesn't even realize his arm is gone. He's going, my my car, my car, my car, and the guy goes, your car? We need to find your arm. Maybe they can reattach it. You're missing your arm. This is the trucker said he looked over where the guy where his arm should have been the guy goes my Rolex my Rolex <laughs> we have to make sure that we define life by what is truly life it is our relationship with God and our relationship with others that is ultimately our, the top two commandments love God and love people if we work on those then that's what life is really all about and the ups and downs and the other stuff we can, we can take we can roll with it. The next thing we find out is that worry is pointless. It doesn't accomplish anything. Let's look at verse 27. It says, uh, Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Has anybody ever 
really fixed anything by worrying. No. Strategic plan and action? Sure. But just fret? Just did old nail biting? Oh my goodness, staying up late at night, can't, can't lay your head down and go to sleep when it's time to sleep? Worrying? No, it doesn't accomplish anything. Ecclesiastes 2, 22-25 says, What does a man get for the toil and anxious striving which he labors under the sun? All his days his work is pain and grief. Even at his night his mind doesn't rest. This too is meaningless. It's pointless. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink. Now see, we were talking about what shall we eat and what shall we drink. All that, being concerned about all that. And according to Solomon, man can do nothing better but then to eat and drink that day immediately, what's before him. To eat and drink and, sign, and find satisfaction in his work. This too I see is from the hand of God, for without him who can eat or find enjoyment. And so many people, I've known so many people who have wasted decades working at a job that they hated. That they just hated. Instead of, now I'm not saying everybody has to enjoy every aspect of their job. But ultimately, ultimately that job provides something. Provides a roof over your head and food in your stomach, and it provides something. You're not doing it if you're not doing it for fun. You're doing it for some reason. And ultimately, we ought to be finding eating and drinking, enjoying what God has given us, and finding satisfaction in what we have found our hands to do, what God has given us to do. We do this, and we can begin to really, really enjoy life, not getting all anxious and toiled there was a story about the uh, 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 John G. Wendell whose family came uh, from Austria in uh, <clears throat> the late 1700's and immediately began to buy up real estate in New York and the Wendell family had four rules and one of the rules was never, never, never sell and so as the, by the time it passed down to the third genera generation, then uh, they had amassed a huge real estate fortune in New York. Well, John G. Wendell was, the, was the, uh, the son in the third generation, and he had six sisters. Well, he was so concerned about the family fortune and the family wealth and not squandering it that he, would, he talked all of his sisters out of getting married wouldn't let some foreign guy come in so they all lived in one house that they didn't add any electricity to they didn't add anything to and finally when the last uh, sister died in 1931 she had a, a personal fortune of a hundred million dollars which in today's dollars in 1931 was about 1.3 billion she was worth $1.3 But yet, when she died, she owned one dress that she made by hand and had worn it for 25 years. They lived like paupers. They lived, they were just, you see the Ebenezer Scrooge? These were the Scrooge family. And they had all of this and didn't enjoy any of it didn't enjoy any of it just lived like misers see that's not what God has called us to do he didn't call us to be frivolous and silly but he's called us to enjoy the things that he's blessed us with he's called us to enjoy life and not get wound up and worried this guy wasn't worried about where it was going to come from he was worried that it was going to leave and worry just destroys either direction Worrying where your next meal is going to come from or worrying that all that you've piled up, that somebody's going to come and swindle you out of it. It destroys. It absolutely destroys. Psalms 127, 1 through 2 says, and this is one of the psalms of ascent. This is one of the psalms that they would, that they would sing as they're coming into the house of the Lord. As they're walking up the steps of the temple. 
Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for He grants sleep to those He loves. Unless God is in it, it is pointless. It doesn't matter how early in the morning you get up or how late you stay up trying to work and trying to accumulate. If God is not in it, it's all pointless anyways. It vanishes. It goes away at some point. So ultimately what we have to do is that is that we find our satisfaction in God. Proverbs 12.25 says, An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. We've all been there before where that's just some, something is worrying us. And we can't even enjoy the things we normally enjoy. There was a time this fall that I got the privilege of getting to go to eat with some of my, some of my favorite people. We were all sitting around Olive Garden. And I was, had an anxious heart. And I was there with people having a good time and all that, and I could not really enjoy it because I had an anxious heart. I was worried. I was concerned. And there was an environment that I love with people that I love. Eating food that I really like and didn't get to enjoy any of it. Why? Not because of anything external, but because of me. Because I was anxious. It weighs us down. It's not worth it. It pulls away from us what Christ has given us. We cannot let worry come in and rob us. And to do that, we have to understand our value to God. You have to understand your value to God. Ultimately, if you believe there's a God and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, which we talked about last week, then to get in fret is to ultimately be concerned about your own value to God. Because, see, the thing is, is we, in this world, we, we, we place people on, on different rungs and different people have different values. I, uh, Back when, my goodness, we still had the Mustang. And so that was, Brooker's was maybe a baby. And uh, anyways, but I had, when I was in the fourth grade, I was rude to a one of my little female classmates. And she rightly whirled around and bust me in the face with a metal lunchbox. And I deserved it. And uh, anyways, and when she did it, it... It broke this tooth. This half of this tooth is fake. And uh, anyways, we just had uh, I'd had it replaced when I was in the fourth grade, and I was I was here married, so it had been it was a temporary deal, and it needed to be dealt with. And I was I just not dealt with it. So I was married. It had been a long time. The temporary thing needed to be dealt with. Well, I was uh, doing some work and doing some stuff. In fact, we were headed on a trip. And I was eating one of those Astro Pops. You ever seen one of those Astro Pops? The little pointy has the different colors. And they get real sticky. I mean, they're like ridiculously sticky. And uh, anyways, I ended up sticking it in my teeth. And when I stuck it in my teeth, just I was, knew it was sticky. And so I was trying to hold it real delicately. But just somehow my teeth just slowly sunk in to that. And so I'm sitting there and I popped it off the bottom teeth and then it was just stuck on the top. I could I could have just left it there. It was just it was just stuck. So I finally I grabbed it and I went Pah! And when I did, that fake tooth came off and was stuck in my astro pop. And so I'm sitting there looking at that and in my mind I'm like, this is gonna be this huge amount of money to get this fixed and I'm just freaking out. And I've only got half a tooth in front. Well, I was the youth pastor and janitor. I was, I was both at the time. And everybody had always treated me like I was the youth pastor, not like I was a janitor. And, uh, but anyways, I was amazed because I went for about two months before I got this tooth fixed. Was it longer than that? It was a while. Okay. 
Well, my wife, I guess she didn't let me go toothless very long. It was long enough because I had not, I never had anything physically change on me to where people began to just judge you different. And so, and as I would go through, as I would just go through life and just go to the store or dealing with different things, I was in college, then because I was missing part of my tooth, then people started, they started treating me like I was less intelligent. And it was amazing that they were treating me like I, my IQ had like cut in half. And I'm like, I'd never been treated like that in my life. I was an honor student, you know. Like, what's up with this? And then I began to realize that it was my, it was my tooth. Even people at the church should have known better. All of a sudden, they saw me more as the janitor than they saw me as the youth pastor. And it's amazing because man looks on the outside, according to 1 Samuel. Man looks on the outside, but God looks on the inside. And we understand this. And so we, there's this value ranking that happens in just the world that we live in. And that all these people, you know, they're valued here and these other people are valued here and all of this different stuff. And we know God doesn't do that. God looks on the inside. So his valuing system is different than ours. He doesn't care what my hair looks like or if I wear name brand clothes or what my address is. He looks on the inside. He must be caring about, you know, how I reacted and what I did this and all that. And then you create this internal value system and think that God is somehow mad at you or valuing you lower and not ready to step in to provide your needs. We have to understand that God, God values all of us. And that's what Jesus is hammering here. Look at 26 and verse 30. It says, Look at the birds of the air, for they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you much more valuable than they? Don't you know your value? If you're worrying, you don't understand your value to God. You don't understand how much He loves you. If you're worrying... Look at verse 30. It says, If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? If He'll take care and make the grass look that good, don't you think He cares about what you look like? Don't you think He'll care about you? Don't you think He'll take care of you? Ultimately, to get in there and worry is for us to question our value to God. And see, Jesus is Jesus is pulling these these references to the to to just natural things. Job twelve says, "But ask the animals, and they'll teach you the birds of the air, and they will tell you." I mean, you're looking at him talking about a bird. Most birds eat multiple times their body weight. Every day in seeds. I'm assuming that y'all do not eat multiple times your body weight in food every day. And so uh, I I stay right below my body weight. I just don't consume quite that much. uh, But God is such an abundant supplier that here He has provides provides these uh, plants that produce enough seed to not only feed all of these birds multiple times their body weight every day, but have enough seeds that get left on the ground to sprout and replace the uh, existing plants. God is an abundant God. We just look at the universe and look at creation and we see His abundance. But value, God valuing us, is something we so have to understand. Look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 10 through 12. Here are the Pharisees. And it is just, uh, this, this is just amazing to me, this story. It says, a man with a shriveled hand was there. And the Pharisees are the ones who are looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? These guys, when they say, here it was the Sabbath day, they knew the rules. You're not supposed to do any work. 
And uh, so and the, this man shows up with a shriveled hand. His hand is deformed. And they immediately see an opportunity to catch him. And you know what's so perverse about that? Is they're not questioning his ability to heal. They are convinced that he can heal this guy. Convinced. They're like, boom, we've caught him. Here is a man with a shriveled hand, and here is Jesus who can heal him. What are we going to do? We going to, he's going to get busted. We're going to bust him for, for, for <clears throat> doing something on the Sabbath. And he said, and he's, anyways, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They're questioning him. They're provoking Jesus. And he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls in the pit on the Sabbath, will you take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And Jesus turns to the man with a shriveled hand, with a withered hand, and tells him to stretch it out. The man stretches it out, and he was completely healed. And it just ticks the Pharisees off, and, and, and they're so mad. But they did not question Jesus' power to heal. They ultimately were questioning the man's value. Was the day, was the religious religiously keeping that day more valuable than this man who needed divine healing. And Jesus reminded, it's about people. It's about people. I value man. You'll violate it. You'll violate it yourself to pull your own sheep out of a ditch. And yet you think that a man shouldn't get what he needs on the Sabbath. Too many times our own worry is based not in our belief if God can. So many times we do. We know, you say, can God provide? Yep. And you're fully convinced. But then the next question brings it home. Do you believe God will provide for you? you know, oh yeah, God's a provider. God can do anything. God's a miracle working God. Then the next one brings it home. Okay, we think God will do it for you. And ultimately, if we have a hard time answering that with a, with a strong affirmative, it's because we are questioning whether or not we matter enough that He will do it. We know He can, but do we matter enough that He will? You know, every once in a while you run into somebody and they have an issue and you say, well, can I pray with you? You're like, ah, I, don't, I don't want to bother God with that. You know, there's the war in the Middle East and there's all this kind of stuff. As if God is like us and only has so much time in the day. But they're doing that. They're like, man, my, my issue doesn't matter. It matters to me. But, ah, man, God's got a full plate. and You know, God's got all this stuff going on. and You know, I don't, I don't want to bother him with this little deal. I can persevere. That's not what that's not what it's about. First Peter five seven says, Cast your anxiety, cast your burdens, cast the things that are weighing you weighing you down on him, on Jesus, because he cares for you. We have to be willing to cast our burdens on Jesus. And our thing that ultimately holds us back from that is because our worry is rooted in a trust issue. Ultimately, it's a trust issue. If we believe, and if we believe that God is and that He is a rewarder, and then we get it through our minds that He values us, ooh, now that we've pulled it not on Him. Now it's on us. The court's in balls in our court. That it is a trust issue. Y'all uh, watch the Geico Gecko commercials. This is the new one. It just totally cracks me up. You got him, little Gecko walks in the CEO's office, and he's wanting to see him, and he's like, "Man, trust, trust is so important to get to to Geico. We need our customers and to know it's it's about trust. Let's just do a practical exercise here where uh, you catch me." 
And, uh, and, and so when you got this, it's so hilarious because there's that little bit of gecko, and you just see him kick over just enough. And, uh, you know, okay, there's, there's some, uh, there's going to be some problems here. And, uh, this just isn't quite going to work out because, uh, uh, we need, uh, we need, when, with our trust issues, ultimately, what we know is when we can genuinely trust is when we can put our full weight on something when we know that it will hold us up. My senior year in uh, in high school, I got a I was graduating, got a good amount of money for for graduation, and um, I grew up in Odessa. And there's just not a lot of exciting things to do in Odessa. And uh, but bungee jumping was a real new thing at the time, and they hadn't regulated it very well at that point and so there at the, one of the local bars they had set up a uh, crane a 200 foot crane and were you know taking people up to to bungee jump so i saw this crane silhouetted in the you know odessa sky because you can see forever because it's so flat and uh, i was like they're bungee jumping <laughs> yes i was so excited i called up my friend and I, was only, I can only get a hold of one of them. And uh, he's like, man, there's no way I'm going to bungee jump. You're, you're crazy. He said, but I'll go and watch you. I said, all right. So I went and picked up Belos, and we went to, uh, went to where they were bungee jumping. There was a big old line. And uh, I had uh, run out, and I had only, uh, I'd only had a, a little bit of cash on me. And I was... Uh, ready to spend and anyways to jump cost for to jump by your waist cost 40 bucks to jump by your ankles cost 60 bucks and to get a video of it cost 20 dollars well all i had was 60 cash on me so i was like well, i want the video i want to watch this when this is all done so i did the by the waist and got the video so i'm in my line i'm signing all of the little documents and all of that stuff and uh should have had a, some sort of an idea because they didn't have like a, a nice, you know, air mattress or, you know, this big puffy deal. They had one of those blue Walmart tarps laid out on what would be the crash zone so they could just roll you up like a little uh, Brandon burrito and stick you to the side and throw out a new tarp. Keep, keep business as usual. No stains from that one. And uh, and so should have known there was should this may not be wise. So uh, anyways, the uh, I'm getting all harnessed up, and they're gonna carry me to the top. It was finally my turn, and there was just person after person that would get up there and do these beautiful swan dives and do all this stuff, and they would bring them to the ground. They're just quiet. They just unhook them, and they just shuffle off i'm like what is what is the deal with that so they they take me in hook me up i ride to the top and, and uh about halfway up i'm like man aren't, aren't we done and he's like no you're gonna hit the ground you jump from here all right just carry on and uh, we end up going up to the top and uh, of course from up there it was there was a nice little breeze so our little cage that we're in is shifting back and forth a little bit and it's just pitch black sky and you can see forever i mean you see midland and it's just oh man it was just so creepy all my friends look so teensy down there and he's talking me through everything that i've got to do telling me that he's going to count me down three two one go and all that and i'm like okay so then he opens the little door opens a little gate and has me step out on this little ledge in this thing and uh, throws the bungee cord over the edge and it just about yanks yanks me off and uh, I'm standing there and he's counting me down and on the video I'm up there forever and uh, because I'm just trying to get the courage up to do it because I'm telling you had, I didn't care about the money they, they could keep my money I would had my friends not been there I would have ridden down, took the harness off, and said, well, that's a beautiful sight from up there, and uh, I'm done. And, uh, but I was not going to chicken out in front of my buds. And I got up there, and they counted me, uh, 
guy finally gets me out there, counts me down. So I'm holding on, and he goes, three, two, one, I pulled in. And I was like, I can't do it, I can't do it. He's like, okay, take it easy. So then he, I'm like, okay, I can, I can go. Counts me down again. Three, two, one. And I chickened out again. So finally he's like, man, you, you, you're going to have to come off of here. And so I was like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. So I held on, and, uh, <laughs> and I, I wish, because I've only bungeed up that once in my life, and I wish I would have done something spectacular, and, but I didn't. And uh, I was holding on to the, to the side of the deal, and he counts me down, three, two, one, and I just kind of squat. <laughs> and I just go down till finally the weight of my rear end and the cord hanging off of me is just too much. And I kind of let go. And I look like some little dead bird falling out of a nest. And I'm just, I just all curled up. And I'm coming down. And I did not move a muscle. I did not breathe. I come down and I'm just falling like this. And man, when I felt that thing catch and throw me back up, woo! It's on the video. I'm just running in air. I'm screaming. I was not living for God, and I was cussing, and I was, I was going like crazy. And uh, man, it was just incredibly thrilling. Whenever and and I did not enjoy a minute of it until I knew. It would hold. And as soon as it held me, I was like, I'm doing this again. You know, I've got to go back and I've got to go get some more money. And I walked in. I stayed amped on adrenaline for hours. I walked in showing my mom the video. And so we're putting it in. And she she hadn't been there. They had just left right before I jumped. They had been spectating. And my mom gets all freaked out. She puts it in. Oh, man. I'm like, Mom, I'm right here. <laughs> Guess what? It works. It all works. And uh, it was, but it was incredible when it caught. And so, and the thing is, is that ultimately I did put my trust in it while I was doing all the whole time when I was doing my dead bird thing. It wasn't pretty, it wasn't glorious, but I let go and I trusted and I put my full weight on the end of that bungee cord. So many times it's beautiful to see the. The, you know, the life of faith where somebody can just step off and it just looks glorious and wonderful and they're just living for God and, and they're just being able to trust Him and it looks like there's not a, a concern in the world. You know, and we all want to do it that way. But sometimes, sometimes we just have to, to, to go ahead and be willing to let go and put our full weight. And maybe it's not so pretty. And maybe it's not glamorous looking. And maybe you feel like you're just this little dead bird falling. Oh, Lord. I'm trusting you, and I'm taking everything that I can to trust me. That's why in the Word it says, Lord, I, I believe, help my unbelief. You know, we, we believe as far as we can, and we place our full trust on Him. And ultimately, ultimately what helps us get rid of worry is placing our full trust in Him and being willing to let go and say, God, this is in your hands. I know your word will hold me. I know your promises are sure. I know in Jesus every promise is yes and amen. <clears throat> that is when we, we place our full weight, our full trust in Christ. Philippians 4, 6-8 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, will tran which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding. It didn't say the peace of God, which will bring you understanding. Because so many times we want to see how it's all going to work before we trust God. I'll be at peace when I see how it's all going to play out. That will make me be at peace. No, whenever we've put our requests before God, we know they're in the right hands. We're really placing in Him, then the peace of God, which transcends understanding. We may not understand every little piece of the puzzle. We may not understand how God is going to make this happen. But we know 
that he is sure and that he is going we can put our whole weight on him and then maybe we don't understand all the pieces but his peace transcends that it goes beyond that <clears throat> Philippians 4:19 says and my god will provide all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus we don't have to worry our God will provide all our needs. We just have to trust in Him. We have to do what is required of us, what He's required of us. We have to be willing to, to do the work that's set before us, to eat and drink and enjoy the life He's given us and trust Him with the rest. This isn't a lazy life. This isn't a life of sitting back and doing nothing and twiddling our thumbs and saying, God, you know, make it happen. No, we are, we are responsible. We have our issues in this. <clears throat> But it is not to worry. We're not to be anxious. And we do this by keeping first things first. We make sure that we keep, the, keep the, our focus on the right things. While we were on our big journey, we made it into Tennessee. And we crossed the Mississippi River at Memphis. And coming into Memphis, we cross. And it's, of course, real industrial through there. And it's not... the prettiest Mississippi crossing on the face of the planet. But we go through there, and we're there with the, the mighty miss. And uh, <clears throat> I'm reminded of a story of these two uh, paddle boats, two river boats, that were carrying cargo, and both of them had left Memphis about the same time. And as they're both cruising up the Mississippi, and they're going up the Mississippi, and one part of the crew starts heckling the other crew and yelling across, talking about how much faster their boat is than the other boat. And it didn't take long, and a race ensues. They're chunking more coal in, they're cranking it up, and a race is going. Well, they're cruising down the Mississippi, both of them carrying their cargo to New Orleans. they got a long haul to make, and they're cruising down the Mississippi. Well, about halfway through the trip, they had loaded up enough cargo to make it all, enough charcoal coal to make it all the way to New Orleans, but not at a race pace, not at full steam ahead. They didn't have that much coal. It was just at their regular pace. And so as they're going on a race, they ran out of coal. Well, the crew had gotten so pumped into this race, they, the one had, they had run out of coal and it started falling behind. And one of the crewmen looks over and grabs some of the cargo that they were hauling to New Orleans, that they were paid to haul to New Orleans, and throws it into the furnace. Well, furnace comes alive, paddles get going, they start catching up. Well, these guys just, in their stupidity, began to just feed this furnace with the cargo. And sure enough, sure enough, that boat is the one that won it, won to New Orleans. They got to New Orleans first. But when they got there, the bulk of their cargo was burnt. It was gone. Their whole purpose of why they left, the whole purpose of their journey, was to get the cargo to New Orleans. It wasn't to win they won. Yep, they, they won, sure enough. But they had forgotten what the reason for the trip was to begin with. They forgot what the reason why they were going. We have to keep first things first. We have to remember why we don't just get saved and get beamed up. Because heaven's better than here. You know, ultimately God has us for there. So why are we still here? We have to keep first things first. Verse 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, because if we understand keeping first things first, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself, for each day has enough trouble of its own. Henry Ford, creator of the... the assembly line, believed in specialization of task and specialization of labor. Believed trying to do too many things was just a waste. <clears throat> and he even had a deal that he believed it such to the point that he said that there would be times that he would wake up in the morning and want to do about a dozen things. 
and he would just and he knew that he could not do a dozen things that day well so he would literally get up and run around his house he would jog around his house he said just burning up that extra energy that wanted to do so much and he said and while he was doing it his mind would clear and he would figure out what he really needed to devote his day to what the first thing it was he needed to do so many times when we hit the floor running that's why it's important spend a little bit of time in the word a little bit of time in prayer a little bit of time seeking god because you know what we will be flooded with a kajillion things to do. But ultimately, it's about the kingdom. We can't get distracted from what God has called us to do. Jesus rebukes Martha there in Luke 10. It says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. She sat and listened to Jesus teach instead of making her bread and cleaning the house and all of the other things that Martha wanted her to do. See, his kingdom is his rule and his reign. It's his way of doing things. His righteousness is made up of the things that Jesus has made right. We have to seek God's kingdom, his way of doing things, and what Jesus has made right. That's what our day should ensue and, and be about. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So you have to replace the worried thoughts with some other sort of thoughts. And here we're given in Philippians the thoughts we need to think. Think on whatever is good and lovely and of a good report. Think about all that Christ has done for us and made available to us. That's what we're supposed to think about. <clears throat> so this morning I want to... <clears throat> I want to just, uh, uh, first off, make it available. If anybody here doesn't have a relationship with Jesus doesn't have a relationship with God through Christ then I want to make that available if everybody could go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes